Alright, so Acts chapter 14, a city divided. We're going to talk about three things, or emphasize three things, which is, uh, first of all, Paul spreading the gospel. We're going to talk about that. We're going to see what he did, what it cost him, and how that relates to us as professing Christians. Spreading the gospel. We're going to look at people, people's response to the gospel. I think that's very important. We're going to see that in the text. That's kind of where we get the, uh, the title, City Divided. But uh, how does that relate to us as we spread the gospel? And what are our expectations? What should we expect as we go out and share God's word? And the last thing is we're going to look at God's word through the gospel. Meaning, we're going to bring it all back and realize that it is God who does the work ultimately. And us, we're just merely servants of His in, in His work. So let's get started with uh, Acts chapter 14, if you would uh, follow along. It reads, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude both of the Jews and of the Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. So, let me say a couple of things about this. A uh, couple of things that maybe we won't notice unless we kind of do a little bit of research. You've often heard about Paul doing missionary journeys, right? Now, hopefully you know a little bit about Paul. We studied his conversion in uh, earlier chapters. How Paul was this elite Pharisee, very religious individual. He considered himself top class, and he probably was. I don't think he was making those things up when he talks about his former life prior to meeting Christ. So here we have this elite Pharisee who had the status, who had uh, people's respect. He was just an up-and-comer individual who was going to just do great things for Judaism. And then in chapter 8 9 uh, of Acts, we read how the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, appears to him in a bright light on his way to Damascus, and he becomes, he gets converted. The Lord basically takes his life and changes him around and gives him a new heart and a new purpose in life and a, and a real relationship with him. That's what we see about Paul. And immediately, Paul begins to preach the gospel. Alright? And a couple of things that you should know about Paul. If you read the New Testament, there's 27 books. Right? 39 and 27. There's 27 books. About half of them are written by Paul. So the stuff that we get to learn about and study are things that the Holy Spirit wrote and uh, through Paul. So he's, he's pretty important to, to all of us. Paul was chosen specifically to share the gospel to the Gentiles. That's us. What I'm trying to say is, we are, have greatly benefited by what Paul did. Or what God did through Paul. And I want us to understand that it's because if we don't, then it's just going to be, you know, oh, Paul, good, good for Paul. Let's all applaud Paul and thank God for Paul. 
But he says something very interesting. And I don't have the verse with me. I don't know why I didn't look it up. But Paul says something very interesting. He says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So what I want us to realize in this first point about Paul spreading the gospel is, we want to see, that's what's happening here in chapter 14. But then Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. Paul, after his conversion, pretty much gives up his life to the Lord for the lost. And 2,000 years later, if you're born again, if you're a child of God, God used Paul to save us 2,000 years later through his gospel, through his word. So I think that's pretty amazing. And we have to realize that because the application then becomes, if Paul gave his life to spreading the gospel... And even us, 2,000 years later, are partakers and, and are, we benefit of that obedience of Paul. And then Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. The obvious implication is, as Paul did, you and I should do. And here's the thing. We look at Paul's life, and I don't know about you, but I look at Paul's life. You read in Corinthians, especially all the stuff that he went through. We're going to read some of the stuff here in chapter 14. And it's pretty amazing. It's pretty radical. It's like, who lives like that? And actually, there's people that still nowadays live like that. And no doubt, no doubt, Paul was a special individual chosen by God. But here's the danger. The danger becomes in that, that's what God did through Paul. Surely he couldn't do that through me. Is that, and as I'm standing here, and as you're sitting there, I would dare say there's some of that in us. To think that, yeah, God did that through Paul, and that's great. But surely... He wouldn't do that through me, would he? I mean, Paul went kind of crazy doing all these awesome things. That's wonderful. But that's for him. And that's for special people. But if you and I go back to the gospel and look at what Jesus did whenever he called his disciples, whenever somebody came and wanted to follow him, the Lord Jesus Christ always said, deny yourself. Get over yourself. If you want to follow me, your life has to end and a new one has to begin. Your prior life was all about you. If you're really going to be my disciple, it's got to be all about me and my kingdom. And beloved, he says that to you and to me. And Paul should not be, as we read about Paul in the, in, in the later chapters, all the way through the end of Acts, I wouldn't want us to feel like we're elevating Paul as he was something super special. In some sense, he was. But humanly speaking, he even says that right now, he goes... Later on when they try, they're trying to sacrifice uh, because they think he's uh, Hermes and, and, uh, and Zeus, Barnabas. They want to sacrifice to them. And he says something very interesting. He goes, uh, he goes Beloved, don't, guys, what are you doing? He goes, I'm just a man just like you. So keep that in mind. Paul, when it comes down to it, was a man or a person just like you and I. But he, what made him special was not so much his physical, intellect, or, or human abilities, it was just the fact that he gave himself over to the Lord and just said, remember at, at, the, at the road to Damascus, he said two things, he goes, Lord, who are you? And then he said, what do you want me to do? Two awesome questions. Lord, who are you? Reveal yourself to me. That should be a question that we all have. And when we come to church, that should be our attitude. Lord, are you there? Maybe you're at that point. Do you really exist? Are you really there? And if you are, who are you? 
that once He reveals Himself to you, then ask the next question, what do you want me to do? And when He says do this, hopefully we're obedient enough to, to go ahead and do it. And it's going to cost us though. It's going to cost us. And that's one of the things that we're going to look at. The cost of discipleship or the cost of obedience. What did it cost Paul? And then we're going to ask ourselves the question, what is my obedience to Christ costing me? And I think that's a fair question. So, Paul spreading the gospel. We don't want to just see the fact that he's spreading the gospel. We're going to realize that we are blessed by what he did. We want to see that he was just a man just like the rest of us. An individual, person. But he was obedient to God's calling to make disciples. And before we forget, uh, Acts 1.8. Hopefully we'll, we'll memorize it. But I want to keep reading it because this is what it's all about. Why are we reading about Paul spreading the gospel? Because Jesus Christ, our Lord, back in chapter 1 verse 8, before His ascension, said something that still stands today. Chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus Christ gave that command. He lets them know this is what's going to happen. When the Holy Spirit comes, He's not just coming on vacation. He's going to come for a very specific purpose, and that is to empower you, so that you, be, you can become witnesses of mine, all over the world. And then go back a couple of uh, books, in Matthew, the Great Commission, the Lord says, All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Beloved, that's what we're here for. You're here if you're saved. And you're here. You're here because somebody in some way, shape or fashion was obedient to that calling and to that commission. And shared with you. Maybe some of us grew up in church like I did. Let me tell you something real quick. So I grew up in church, right? I'm not saying I was a Christian all my life. I believe the Lord really got me when I was right around 13, 14 years old, around 8th grade. But I grew up and I never doubted that Jesus was God in whatever type of intellect I was able to grasp that. I understood that Jesus had died on the cross for my sins. But I remember that it was around 8th grade when things really became a reality. And I had this conviction about my sin. And I realized that I was a sinner and that that offended God and that separated me from God. And I remember having that empty feeling of having a need for a Savior and for forgiveness. That's why I say I became a Christian right around the age of 13, even though I always knew about Jesus. It was up here, I think right around 18, I mean 13, it became a, a reality in my life, in my heart. But I grew up in church. And this, uh, what was it? I think it was Thursday also. I get this call, don't know the number, I answer it. And it's this lady whose uh, dad passed away last Monday. Her dad's name is Ruben Garcia. Most of you guys have no idea who that is. But this is the man that when my dad came from Mexico, he was the uh, uh, manager, uh, supervisor at the shop or at the uh, company where my dad started working. And let me tell you real quick, because I think this is pretty cool. He's, he's with the Lord now. But this man uh, was able to give my dad a job. And he had this uh, secret agenda, this man, Ruben Garcia. He made it possible that my dad would get hired like on the spot. 
And as soon as he had a chance, this man, Rubén Garcia, started talking to my dad about the Bible. You know, are you interested in the Bible? My dad was already interested in reading the Bible. Uh, but he didn't know the Lord. So it was through this man at work that my dad came to know the Lord. And I benefited from that because I grew up knowing the gospel. So I just wanted to mention that kind of pay my respects to this man, Ruben Garcia. I never got a chance to really uh, know him a whole lot, but I've always had this appreciation for him. Every time my dad tells a story how he came to the Lord, how this man, he was uh, at work, you know, managing a company. And every opportunity he took, I'm, so, I'm, I'm guessing my dad was not the only person that he ever spoke to. Whenever a new employee would come, he would share the gospel with them at work. You know, some of us are afraid we might get fired for that, right? You know, you don't talk about Jesus. And I'm not saying steal the company's time and, and preach and, and study your word over there. I'm not saying that either. But when the Lord said, go and preach the gospel, the way He said it was, as you live your life, share the gospel, make disciples. Not when you go to church, act all Christian and act like a disciple and maybe bring some people to church. That's, that's not what it is. That's not what it's about. It's when you leave here, wherever you go, at work, at school, with your family, make disciples. Make disciples wherever you go. And just like all of us benefited from Paul's obedience, and my family very much benefited from Ruben Garcia's obedience to share the gospel, we have that same opportunity to share the gospel with other people. And I don't know about you, but something that just kind of touches my heart every time is the idea that someday when we're in heaven, somebody will be there because of us. And when we're up there, we're not going to brag. We're not going to say, hey, see that person over there? I brought him. It's not going to be like that. I'm guessing we're going to be so humbled and so grateful to God that He would use us to have, to have pointed somebody to the Lord. I don't know about you, but that to me is so motivating. It's so encouraging. Uh, it's almost, uh, I consider it a huge privilege that somebody would end up in heaven because of my obedience to the Lord in making disciples and sharing the gospel. And that's not something for Paul. It's not something for Ruben Garcia. It's not for the pastors or the leaders of the church. It's for every one of us who have understood the call of the Lord. If God has saved you, he wants to use you to save others. That's His plan. To use the church, you and I, to share the gospel so that other people will come. And I love that. I, I love the opportunity. I love the privilege. I know it's scary at times. At times we feel like we're not ready. We don't know what to say. We don't have all the answers. We don't know a lot. But all that needs to go to the garbage. Our job is to know Him, to study His Word, and then just make Him known to other people through our lives and through our words. So, Paul spreading the gospel, you and I continue to do that. We have that same responsibility and that same privilege to tell people. You might think, like, I don't know where to start. Well, I share with you a verse, Romans 6.23, start there. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Only through Him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. You know what God doesn't want is for us to be passive. What God doesn't want is for us to just kind of go about our business. And unfortunately, that's what most of us do. Including myself, of course. We get busy with work. We get busy with school. We get busy with family. We get busy with this and that and the other. 
And then if there's anything left over, we give it to the Lord. I remember Pastor Delgado, my former pastor, he said uh, something very uh, deep. And he said, God is not interested in your leftovers. And you read the Gospels, and that's exactly what Jesus preached. You want to have a relationship with me? Don't give me your leftovers. I want it all. He said, leave everything and follow me because I'm worth it. Not, well, if you ever have some time, look me up. I'm on Facebook. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He says, all or nothing. So, let's look at Paul spreading the gospel. Uh, a couple of things. So, the reason why I started mentioning about Paul's missionary journeys, he did three. Some people would say four. The last one was really, he was kind of like in prison on his way to Rome. But four, if you want to call it, three or four missionary journeys that are, are mentioned here. And uh, just a total devotion to spread the gospel all over the place. And um, one thing that I want to mention, I think I've mentioned to you before. Uh, I heard this from uh, Greg Laurie. We love it. We either evangelize or we fossilize. You guys know what fossils are, right? Remains of former living things buried deep in the ground. We either evangelize or sure enough, we will fossilize as Christians. We either start spreading the gospel that's been entrusted to us or we're just going to become like these mummies, these fossils that people find. It's like, oh, you were a Christian? You should have told me. I, didn't never, I never knew. Yeah, well, you know, we're supposed to be active. Evangelize or fossilize. You don't want to become a fossil. You want to become a living creature of Christ, born again for His glory. Uh, so, a couple of things. Uh, chapter 13 and 14 basically describe Paul's first missionary journey. I know when you read it, some of these names are like never heard of these places, but most of your Bibles have maps. If you just look it up, it'll have, if, you have, if your Bible has maps, It'll have some maps about Paul's missionary journeys. Just look it up and you see all these names of these cities and towns that Paul uh, preached at. So 13 and 14, as we finish chapter 14, that's the end of Paul's first missionary journey. He started in Antioch. He goes all the way around and comes back uh, to Antioch. And that means that's, that's the end of his first missionary journey, which took a couple of years, about three years. So Paul left everything behind. And followed the Lord. He was obedient to God's calling. And making disciples all over the place. And he suffered for it. He suffered for it. We see the cost of disciple making. For Paul. And we see how it cost him everything. Including his, his life eventually. And so the question becomes. What are we willing to sacrifice? Now I was just reading this book. Again radical. And it talks about making disciples. And what it takes to make disciples. Have you ever tried making a disciple? Okay, you ever watch Star Wars? What are they called? The uh, Apprentice? The what? Oh, they're Apprentice. They're really disciples, right? And what they do is they follow the Master. You know the disciples of the Lord, we chose 12 disciples. Uh, they followed Him for three and a half years. It wasn't, uh, okay, let's get together every Thursday for an hour... It was, they left everything and they followed Him. And if He's a master teacher, if we're going to make disciples, it's going to require effort. 
it's going to require sacrifice and it's going to require for us to invest ourselves in somebody else's lives. And that's a toughie. Because who has time nowadays, right? Who has time nowadays? Who's got extra time that's just, you know. Most of us kind of have busied ourselves almost to death here. So we've got to be careful with that. Uh, so Acts chapter 1, you shall receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit. And basically you're going to go out and evangelize. Uh, there's a couple of portions here that I want to read to you. But let's read 2 Timothy chapter 3. And the reason why Timothy is interesting, and I'm going to choose that one for right now, is because Timothy lived in Lystra, which is one of the cities that we're reading about here in Paul's first missionary journey. Timothy is found there. Or Timothy find Paul finds Timothy, or they find each other in Lystra. We're going to read about that right now. But let me just finish up this point by talking about... Some of the things that Paul went through. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. We're going to read it, but basically in Lystra, Paul is stoned. And they think he's dead and they drag him out of the city once they think he's dead. And keep in mind, Timothy was there in that city. And I would venture to say that Timothy became aware of all these things. Because if you remember, Timothy had a mom who was a believer and a grandma who was a believer. So it's very likely that when Paul visited that city, Timothy's grandma, mom, and probably him, either hung around with Paul or at least heard Paul, or heard about, at the very least, heard about Paul. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 through 12 says, But you, Paul speaking to Timothy, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. Verse 11. Persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. So... Here he's actually summing up what we're reading in chapter 13 and 14. All these persecutions and beatings and, uh, that, that Paul suffered. He's reminding Timothy of that. And then verse 12, he finishes it by saying, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Here's Paul telling Timothy, Look, you know what went down at Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe? All these persecutions, all this rejection of the gospel. You probably remember when I got stoned and they dragged me out of the city thinking I was dead. He's reminding Timothy, this young pastor, and then he says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. I think that's a big deal. Again, Paul's saying, be imitators of me. Look, if it happened to me, and if it happened to Christ, it's going to happen to you. If you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. Does that do anything to you? Are you in one of the all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus? It's a rhetorical question. Think about it. 
Do you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus? I hope you do. But if you do, you should know, Paul says, you will suffer persecution. Which is kind of weird, right? I mean, we don't do things in order to find persecution, find trouble. We tend to do what? We tend to get away from trouble. We tend to look for comfort. We tend to look for safety. But both the Lord Jesus Christ and John... And Paul says, if you want to follow Jesus Christ, if you want to live godly in Christ, you will suffer persecution. And I've always felt a little guilty about this because, I mean, the persecution that I've experienced is very minor. I mean, having doors slammed in your face and people kind of telling you off a little bit because you're trying to go and share the gospel with them, go door to door. That's about the extent You know, in high school, people kind of, every once in a while, having one or two guys making fun of you because you're a Christian. Minor. Very minor. So, when it says, you will suffer persecution, that tells me something. Either Paul was mistaken, or I'm not living a godly life in Christ. And that's very convicting. Because if I was living a godly life in Christ, Paul says, and the Lord said as well, you will suffer persecution. In John chapter 15, verses 18 to 20, the Lord says, the world hated me, guess what? They're going to love you. No, that's not what he says. He says, the world hated me, the world's going to hate you. Because you're not of this world. Beloved, we have to be so careful that we don't live a life that is so comfortable that we just blend right in. We can't do that. The Lord said, if you're my disciples, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me daily. The world's going to hate you, but it's okay. I have already overcome the world. I will give her peace. I'll never leave you or forsake you. But we can't live a life that is passive or comfortable because that's not what we're called for. And Paul says, if you desire to live a godly life in Christ, you will suffer persecution. What kind? He says, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. So let's go back and read it here in Acts. <laughs> We're going to run out of time. We're going to finish it at 11.30. Here we go. So let's, let's do some reading here. Back in Acts chapter 14. So Paul spreading the gospel. He was obedient to what Jesus had called him to do. We need to be obedient to what Jesus called us to do, which is... Spread the gospel. And as we do that, we will suffer persecution. Meaning, we won't live comfortable lives. Listen to what he says. Verse 8. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting in a, crip a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. Verse 9. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice. So, uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time in this, but here's Paul speaking. There's this crippled individual who has a need that he can't fix from birth. And he listens to Paul. And somehow Paul, 
realize that this man has the faith to be healed. Boy, there's so much in that. And Paul with a loud voice so that everybody could hear. He says, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now, what's strange about that? It's kind of a trick question. Everything, right? Here's a crippled man from birth who stands up, leaps and starts walking. But if he had never walked before, you know, he skipped the whole crawling process. You don't just go from being a crippled all your life to now all of a sudden walk. Unless God heals you and heals you completely. God's power. Earlier, in verse 3, it said that they were speaking and that God had given them power to... It says um, that the Lord was bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So all over, the, all over where the apostles went, the Lord would grant signs and wonders to uh, legitimize, at least in the eyes of the hearers, that these were special individuals with God's power, sharing God's word. And look at what happens. Now when the people saw that Paul had done what had Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was a chief speaker. If you guys know your Greek mythology, you know what they're talking about, right? Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of the city, brought oxen and uh, garlands to the gates intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you. And preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God. That's what they were preaching to these people because they weren't Jews. These were pagans. And they went in their preaching saying, turn from these useless things. Sacrificing to these gods that don't even exist is useless. Turn to the living God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all things that are in them. Who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, listen to this, I found this very interesting. Nevertheless, God says He did not leave Himself without witness in that He did good. Gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. I just want to mention this. You ever have a nice meal and you're grateful for it? And you just, you know, when you have a nice meal and you don't overeat, hopefully, you're just like, that was awesome, that was great. Well, Paul is saying that even that is God's witness of His existence. The fact that He will give us rain and fruit and food to eat and, and be able to be glad in our hearts to be able to sit down and eat something very basic. He goes, that is a witness unto these people that God exists. He never left them without witness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. So, they are able to perform this miracle and the people immediately want to sacrifice to them because they think that the gods have come to visit them. And they were partly right. The power of God had come to visit them, but they had the wrong God in mind. And they're thinking about Hermes and Zeus and all these other Greek mythological uh, entities. But God had come to that city through His Word. 
And listen to what happens. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. So, in Antioch, people kicked out Paul and Barnabas. They just expelled them. They go to Iconium. And at Iconium, they want to abuse them and stone them. They find out they flee to Lystra. At Lystra, the people from Antioch and Iconium come. They travel miles and miles to persecute Paul. So first they just got kicked out. Then they were about to get beat up. And now, listen to what happens. The Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. And having persuaded the multitudes, these multitudes that were about to sacrifice to them and accept them as gods, now they turn to them and they want to stone him. Then they stone Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Again, I know we read through this stuff right away, but if you ever witness a stoning, it's an extremely violent thing. They didn't use little rocks. They used big stones. And they would crush people's skulls and break their bones and just kill them. And a multitude of people, not just three or four, it was the whole city practically, and when they thought that he was dead, they drag him out of the city. Lifeless body. And it's not that they were dumb. And it's not that Paul was pretending to be asleep, you know, pretending to be dead. He was either dead or he was really close to being dead. They drag him out of the city and, uh, and listen to this. Amazing. So talking about his obedience to the gospel, what it cost him. He knew what was happening. I mean, you get expelled from one place, and he goes to the next city, he does the very same thing, preach the gospel. He finds out that he's about to get abused and stoned, so he flees to the other city, only to continue the same work. I love it. He never shied away from it. However, when the disciples gathered around him, can you envision that? There's this mangled body on the floor, bleeding all over the place. And the disciples come around and thinking like, mm, they killed him. When the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. It's amazing. We finished reading here. Well, let me, say, let me say this. People's respond to the gospel. We just read it. Everywhere where Paul went, everywhere where Jesus went, and everywhere where you go and preach the gospel... There's always going to be people that respond to the gospel in a positive way. God will open their hearts and their understanding to accept, to realize their lost condition, and plead to the Lord for, for saving grace. And there's going to be people that reject it. And that's why the title of this, of this, this uh, sermon is, a, divided, a City Divided. The gospel divides. The gospel presented right demands a decision. The gospel says, you're a sinner on your way to hell for eternal punishment without God. But God in His love and His mercy and grace provided a way out of that. He sent His Son to die for you. And He took the wrath of God in the cross. Everything that you deserve, Christ took upon Himself. And He died for you. And He was buried and three days Later, he shows that he has power over death by resurrecting and coming back to life. And offering us the forgiveness of sins if we trust in his sacrifice. And he offers us a new life. 
And people will respond to that in one or two ways. Either, whether they say you're crazy, I don't think so, whatever, I'm an atheist, I'm agnostic, I don't, maybe later. Whatever it is, they either reject the gospel or they embrace the gospel. And there's a division. And if God has saved you from your family, and you, once you share with your family, there's going to be a division. And, and the Lord never left room for somewhere in the middle. Well, I'm kind of like a Christian sometimes, and sometimes I'm not. No. He said you're either for me, or you're against me. You either have life, or you're still dead in your sins. You're either on your way to heaven, secured in Christ, or you're condemned already. Because you have not believed in the Son of God. There is no middle ground. You're either saved right now and forever, or you are lost right now in need of repentance and accepting of God's gift of salvation. And if you're not sure, talk to somebody before you leave. Because like Paul said, to, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, he knew he was saved. I know that I am saved by the grace of God. If you don't know that you're saved, you need to make sure. Because the word makes it very clear for you to be able to know that you're saved. If you're still kind of wondering then that's a very bad indication that you're not. That the Holy Spirit is not inside of you bearing witness that you are a child of God. So let's talk about that. So people respond to the gospel many ways. I was going to share with you Matthew 13, but I know all of you guys know it. It's the parable of the soils, where the farmer goes out and starts playing out the seeds. And some of it land on, on, on ground where the seed never even gets, gets in. On some other ones, the birds, or the birds come and just take the seed. And then some seed falls in stony ground. So it grows up really quick. The sun comes out and just burns it. And there was nothing really there. Other ones, it kind of got some good ground. But when it grew up, it grew among thorns and thistles. And it just choked it. And never bore fruit. And then it says some of the seed fell in good ground. Sprout came out. It bore fruit. Lots of fruit. How do we know we're saved? Our lives need to bear fruit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit in us. So people respond differently to the gospel. And here we see a city divided. We finish reading. Verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city. And made many disciples. Again. Got chased out. Got threatened. Now you get stoned and dragged out as being dead. Goes to the next city. And immediately starts preaching again. No big deal for Paul. To me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He lived it out. So they made many disciples. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So that's their way back. They're making their way back at the end of their missionary journey. They went back to the cities, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting or encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must, listen to this, He's, they go back to every city, and they're encouraging them to remain in the faith, right? And listen to how they encourage them. They don't encourage them by saying, now that you're in the faith, everything's going to be just great. They don't say, now that you're in the faith, just, just watch. God's going to bless you so much, you're going to have the best life ever. He, they say, they continue in the faith and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter into the kingdom of God. What? That's encouraging? If we want to enter the kingdom of God, we must enter through many tribulations. 
And maybe later he shared what Jesus said. In this life there's two gates and two ways and two roads. One of them is broad and easy. And many go through there, but it leads to hell. And then he says, but there's a narrow way. And difficult. But when you find it, you'll see that you will have eternal life. That's Matthew chapter 13. It's not Matthew 13. Matthew 10. Matthew 10, 27. Tampoco, it's not Matthew 10, 27. Yeah, Matthew 13. The two ways, the two ways. I have here somewhere. Alright. So that's how they encourage. Don't go to Matthew, stay in Acts. Let's finish it up right here. So, I just found it interesting that that's how Paul and Barnabas went around encouraging the people. They never sugarcoated it. Some people are under the impression that if you become a Christian, things are all going to be okay. They're not. Follow the Lord, you will find persecution. Continue in the Lord, for you know that through many tribulations, you must go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. Look, some of us have been sold this idea that Christianity is easy. And it's not. If it's easy, it's not Christianity. It's not the Christianity that Jesus spoke about. But it's okay, because at the end, what God does promise us, is that He will never leave us or forsake us. That He will give us joy even among the trials and tribulations. That He will continue to show His glory in us through these difficult times. And that at the end, awaits eternal life with Christ in heaven forever. And it's better than anything that we could imagine here, or compare, can compare it with. So, they said, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And they knew what he was talking about because Jesus was persecuted, Paul was persecuted, all these disciples were being persecuted. Paul remembers having taken part of stoning Stephen. And everyone who practiced a life that is pleasing to God suffered tribulations. Paul knew that. So when they had appointed elders in every church, talk about church organization, we're not going to get into that. When they had appointed elders in every church, so first they went and they established churches with believers, and then when they came back, they established elders to organize and run the church. And praying with fasting, they commanded them that the Lord in whom they had believed, and after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From there they sailed to Antioch. There they had, uh, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. So they came all the way back, full circle. And that right there, with no bells and whistles, is the end of Paul's first missionary journey. Back at Antioch, where they had first been commended. And they had prayed, him and Barnabas, and they sent him out. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them. And that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And amen to that. God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. To you and I. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Alright. We see Paul spreading the gospel. And we understand, hopefully, that we are to do the same. What a privilege it is. 
to tell other people about God's love and God's forgiveness. We're going to realize that people are going to respond differently to the gospel. Not every, You know how nice it would be if everybody you spoke to just accepted the Lord? They're not. If you preach the gospel that Jesus preached and Paul preached, people are going to get offended. And people are not going to like the fact that you're saying that they're sinners and that they're going to hell. You know how it is now. It is, can't even say hell, even from the pulpit, some, some churches. Don't talk about hell, don't talk about sin. What is that? If you're a sinner without Christ, I will be the one to tell you, you're going to hell. If you're not repented from your sins, if you haven't gotten a new life, if you haven't been born again, if the Holy Spirit is not in you, you are condemned right now. And if you were to die on your way home right now, you will be forever in a place of torment. You hear it from me, but you can read about it in the Bible. The last point was just simple to understand that it is God working through the gospel. What does that mean? First Corinthians chapter 3 talks about Paul speaking saying, you know, Apollos, myself, Peter, we're nothing. We're just vessels that God uses. It is God that gives the increase. It is God that does the work. And that's awesome to understand because you're not going to go out and save anybody. You're still trying to save your husband, your wife, your daughters, your sons. You're not going to save them. God doesn't say, you shall receive the Holy Spirit, you shall receive power, you're going to go save everybody. You're going to be witnesses. Our job is to witness with our lives and with our words. We pray for people. We share the gospel with people. But we don't force anybody into heaven and we don't smack anybody over the head with the Bible. You can get arrested at this woman and... Did you guys hear about that? It was on our website. Some woman hit some lady over the head with the Bible and she got arrested for, for it. So, that's, that's not the way we go about it. We share the gospel, we are witnesses through our lives and through our words. But it is ultimately God who's going to give the increase. Remember that verse we read in the previous chapter? And all those, it said, all those who were, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. It's God's work. And He allows us to be part of that. So don't be afraid to preach the gospel, but in so doing, understand that we will suffer persecution. And that might look differently for all of us, whether it's your family, at your work, with your friends, whatever it is. But the cost is worth it to know Christ. As we read in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, understand that people respond differently to the gospel and understand that it's God doing His work. And when it's all, the dust settles, and we're in heaven looking back, I don't know how that's going to be, but we're going to see how God just did this awesome work with humanity and with this church, and everything will be well then. So a lot of things we don't understand here, but that's okay. Let's get to know Him, and let's preach Him, let's make disciples of all the nations, and let's be willing to pay the price for that. Let's not fall into the current of this world where it's comfort and luxury and peace and happiness. We have to suffer, suffer persecution if we're going to live a godly life according to how He wants us to live. Let's go ahead and stand and be dismissed. Our Heavenly Father, once again we are grateful for the opportunity to be here.
to listen to your word, to see this example of how you continue to work as you did with Paul back in the day. You continue to do the work now. You continue to save souls. We are grateful for our salvation, Father. We pray for forgiveness for our negligence of making disciples. Father, that we may be courageous enough and obedient enough to be able to count the cost to be your disciples and be willing to follow you. That we may put our lives and ourselves in your hands, that you may be pleased in using us for your honor and your glory. I pray this in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, we are dismissed. God bless you.